What's up, folks? It's Matt Whitmore here, of course, with the awesome Keris Marsden, Fitter Food Radio, and we're episode number 54, churning them out now. Amazing guest on the show today, um, probably a little bit different to, to kind of the direction that we normally take with our, with our guests on the podcast, but an incredibly important topic that we're going to be covering today. Um, we often discuss alcohol. Uh, alcohol consumption when we're when we're just talking about nutrition health etc because obviously it plays a huge role and normally we'd probably link it to excessive calories burning body fat um, feeling good in yourself etc however today we're going to kind of dig a little bit deeper into kind of the effects that alcohol actually have on us on a more maybe emotional level uh, to where people are maybe turning to alcohol a little bit more often to seek comfort um, or uh, as a distraction or something that's going to maybe get them out of their comfort zone so to speak and we've got an amazing guest on the show today called lucy rocker who actually started a company called soberistas which is primarily aimed at uh, women and alcohol however as we've just found out uh, they've also got about 25 percent of the people on board are called so bros who are obviously <laughs> who are obviously guys which is a pretty cool name but trying to introduce you you will do a much much better job lucy um so why don't you tell us who you are, what Soberistas is, and in a nutshell, kind of uh, why you started what you started. Okay, well, hi, thanks for asking me on today. Um, yeah, Soberistas is a social network website aimed at um, women, predominantly, but like you just said, we do have men on board, um, who want to stop drinking. Um, generally, I think we are probably like an early intervention resource, so it, most of our members are not kind of at the late stages of physical dependent alcoholism. It's people who are relying on alcohol as a crutch to cope with stress and um, depression and, and, and all the kind of modern stresses and troubles that we all have in our lives, and, but they've taken it a bit too far and it's becoming a bit of a problem. So it's a social network website. You can make create a profile, post blogs, discussions, chat to people, and basically work. the site works on peer support. So it's just kind of talking to people who know where, how you feel, who can, who've been there, who understand, and who can um, give you support and ideas for stopping and staying stopped. So is it... Am I right in saying that it's quite important that we put it out there that it's not necessarily for people that are alcoholics, per se? I mean, the kind of summary of it is that it's... Um, a so it's a it's an online resource for people with problematic drinking behaviours. So obviously that covers like a real wide scope of levels of dependency. So we've got people on there who might have just been drinking three glasses of wine a night, and for them that's a major problem. And then we've got people on there who are deemed, you know, an alcoholic who are physically dependent who will be using other methods of getting help, detox or AA perhaps or whatever, and they're just using soberistas as like an addition kind of level of help so there's a, there's a whole range but I think most people are drawn to soberistas because they probably don't see themselves as an alcoholic and they don't feel that the kind of more traditional AA 12 step route is appropriate for them so it's all about kind of just, I suppose like creating that community as you say where people feel that they can kind of share their story with like-minded people who are in similar positions and and seek help and help others out so to speak yeah and it's like totally kind of the ethos of it is just that it's completely non-judgmental it's really mm -hmm. kind of friendly everybody's kind it's just like a really safe nice place to be where you can be anonymous and confess completely without judgment about what you've been doing whilst you've been drinking and what sort of problems you've encountered and 
I think that's part of its well it's a major part of its appeal I think it's like a confessional you know just getting it off your chest and, and not being met with derision or judgement is, is a really valuable thing about it I think being able to share your story or your situation with someone who is third party you know doesn't know you doesn't know your friends family it, it just it, it's, it's priceless in a way isn't it for some people yeah I think well, uh, oh, one thing I, I would think, add I think so with alcohol as well particularly for, sorry for women I think particularly it's like so stigmatised heavy drinking and, and everybody seems to think that their kind of drinking problem is just theirs and it's like a secret mm. guilty thing that they carry around with them and I mean I drank for 20 years before I stopped four and a half years ago and I just thought I was the only person I didn't think I knew I wasn't physically dependent but I knew I hadn't got an off switch and I just had this it was like a terrible secret that I had this like awful guilt that ached away at me and shame and I was I was amazed when I kind of launched over Easter's and then saw that there were all these thousands of people who were exactly like me who kind of opened a bottle of wine intended on having a glass two bottles of wine later yeah. <laughs> blacked out and unconscious and you know it was just like oh my god there are actually loads of people like this it's not just me and that was like a revelation to me and I started the site <laughs> so we do all think this is our own will you tell us um your story because that's um I've just been on your your website this week and reading it and there's, what, there's what was you going to say there you was going to oh the, what I was uh, just about to say before was how I actually came across you Lucy was because we run lots of online programs and we've done women only uh, programs as well I just started to observe this attachment to alcohol um and because we're in fitness and health it's never been something that i i almost couldn't drink because we'd always be training the next morning so it's not a route that i went down but i just observed so many women struggling to to give that up and but like you said i wouldn't have considered them as having a problem even with it but it'd be the last thing that they would actually say uh, you know I'll, I'll stop the wine last type thing and i think i was i must have been googling i don't know what i was googling to come across the site and i spent i think it was about three days just reading through the forum and it was so amazing just in terms of the insight that it gave me about where people were what was driving them to be in that position uh, and it was all ranges like you said it was people who I would have considered you know a full-blown alcoholic who needed to go through 12 steps in AA to women who were just like why can't I even just give up one glass or two glasses a day it become a dependency yeah but there's every level on the website yeah there's every level and it affects like every different kind of class and age group you know situation there's this kind of you know really high high up sort of management and doctors and teachers and and there's mums, younger, older, grandmas, you know, it's just kind of the whole spectrum of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's everybody and everywhere, and everybody knows somebody who's got a drink problem. It's just absolutely massive in this country. So, so going back to um, what Keris was saying, how, what, how did you, how, how did soberistas start, you know, so like you mentioned earlier, kind of like your own kind of like issues that you had and it kind of inspired you to do it, you know, what was going on? What was your story to kind of, that, that got you into this? Okay, well, I, I mean, I started drinking at 13, which I've got a 16-year-old daughter now and that's just kind of horrific when I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also doing all sorts of illegal drugs as well and I was, I just went completely off the rails and I was a complete rebel um, and I just naturally gravitated towards other heavy drinkers and my life consisted of just kind of smoking and pool and getting drunk and going out to clubs and raves and taking drugs and it was all a bit of a party and, and I was probably having quite, I thought, quite a bit of fun at the time and then I got married and had my first daughter when I was in my early 20s and then that kind of real extreme party lifestyle sort of got curtailed a bit and because of alcohol being so accepted in our society I just kind of 
swapped all of that for wine and thought that's okay you know everybody drinks wine that's that's kind of uh, perfectly acceptable was it was it red do. wine or white wine <laughs> sorry was it red or white wine uh, mostly white oh no so if it was red it would have been fine <laughs> so yeah so I kind of got stuck into the wine and um, and all my mummy friends got stuck into the wine and we all kind of had our girly nights out and stuff and but all the way through this I, I kind of had this strong awareness that I didn't have an off switch and I was just kind of I didn't drink like other people I drank to get hammered I just couldn't understand people who drank one glass of wine and then switched to the water or were able to leave half a beer and go home tired I just kind of never got that it was like for me drinking was about getting drunk and that's the only reason I drank and then I got divorced in my late 20s and that was when I started drinking on my own and um, and free, more frequently from that point on I started having blackouts and wow. putting myself in kind of increasingly dangerous situations with drinking so I would come home on my own in a taxi at like 3 o'clock in the morning and not be able to get remember getting home kind of wake up on the settee with my bag on the floor and the front door wide open and have no idea and I got lost at this Red Hot Chili Peppers concert and woke up under a tree at three o'clock in the morning in Hyde Park like police total blackout had no idea what happened I'd lost my boyfriend my mobile phone everything just went and um, and these kind of things kept happening and I was getting I was alarmed you know there were moments I'd wake up in the morning and I was terrified and it was awful and I'd stop drinking for two or three weeks and then I'd just convince myself that it was okay and it wasn't really a problem and everybody drank and then I'd start again. And then when I was 35, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and had absolutely no memory at all of getting wow. there. Basically, I'd just gone my own the night before, had a massive, just kind of self-destruct moment, I suppose, and drunk wow. three bottles of wine and a litre of cider, which I hate, and I don't know why I drank that. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously desperate. And, uh, and I'd taken the dog out for a wee, and my friend found me about um, 10 o'clock at oh, night, wow. collapsed on the pavement, throwing up, unconscious, completely unconscious. Oh, wow and phoned an ambulance and um, and then that was kind of sufficient to make me stop completely I was wow. just like terrified I thought if I'd carry on drinking that's it you know but I was still totally I lived in a really nice house and had a decent job and you know everything was kind of in order I wasn't I, I never felt like the wheels had fallen off in, in my life it was just I couldn't stop once it started so I stopped completely then but I, because I didn't sort of see myself as an alcoholic I didn't want to go to AA and I'm not religious and AA is quite heavily religious you know, and it's kind of 12 steps. So I kind of realised that there was a bit of a gap for people who were definitely emotionally dependent on booze, socially dependent on it, but not physically dependent. And also, I think I kind of realised that when you stop drinking, you can feel quite alienated in our society because it's so alcocentric. Those factors led me to thinking of sobristas and just kind of the idea of an online space that was um, accessible um, 24 hours a day where you could be totally anonymous and if you were a single parent like I used to be then you could you know you don't have to go out and go to physical meetings you can just log on in your living room and those things it just kind of they all came together and I just thought the natural sort of solution to this problem really that's missing is is something like sobristas my partner at the time had a bit of kind of tech knowledge and design knowledge and i love writing and so I kind of took care of all the content he did all the design and the tech side of it and we just kind of set it up to see what would happen it was a bit of an experiment and then in the first year we've got a thousand people signing up so it was like clear that this was a big problem lots of it sort of resonated with loads and loads of people um, how many thousand did you say sorry ago. how many thousand did you say yeah 20,000 in the first year Wow. Um, wow. And now we've got 33,000. That, that's amazing. I mean, that's just 
33,000. That's that's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And and what do you um what do people use on the site most? Is it the the members forum or are they just using the because it's packed with resources. I've been on there uh, most of the morning actually just reading all the articles and reading some of your uh, blogs which are fantastic. Um yeah, it's it's their blogs and discussions like the forum and then blog blog you know the blogs that the members have written themselves. That's the definitely the most kind of frequently used bit of the site. I think it is that confessional element and it's just the way you know just connecting with other people who get it it's so it's so powerful and effective as a way of getting help going back to what you said earlier and and this is actually something i was i wanted to ask anyway and then you touched on it in that there there is almost like a, a real there is a pressure socially i think to to drink and that's men and women Mm -hmm. but it's funny how you're an alcoholic should we say or you drink excessively you know friends and family would probably try to convince you not to drink so much yet if you rock up somewhere and say i'm not drinking tonight you just get stick all night long you know from your friends and it just makes it a pretty unpleasant experience personally i don't really give in to peer pressure myself and if i've decided i'm not going to have a drink i'm not i won't have a drink and my mates have kind of like grown tired of trying to get a pint down me but what would you say is like a you know how would you advise somebody on that because i'm sure somebody would do come to you and say oh you know i've tried cutting it out but i you know i meet up with my friends and i just get grief and stick and they go on and on and on at me and the pressure just gets to me and i end up just drinking what you know what what kind of solutions do you offer to that yeah i think i mean there's a few issues there it's like um i think a major thing is that if you did used to be a heavy drinker then probably you gravitated towards other heavy drinkers in your social life so i had all my boyfriends were all heavy drinkers all my friends were heavy drinkers and you know i I would never have gone out with anybody who didn't drink heavily or or i hated socializing with people who didn't drink so when i stopped drinking i made quite a conscious effort to kind of nurture friendships with people who didn't drink as much so i really love running and um fitness and stuff so i've kind of developed more friendships there i think with people that are also into that kind of lifestyle who don't necessarily drink heavy and i've i think over the last three years i've naturally moved away from the very heavy drinker friends that i used to have people who do friends i've got who do still drink i tend to see or go and do other things you know i don't really go to pubs i don't like being around people who are drinking to get drunk that just doesn't appeal to me anymore so I've, i have actively altered what i do with my time and it's not because i'm tempted to drink it's just because my values and my interests have changed completely and i'm and now really really value kind of fitness and looking after myself and intelligent conversation and um doing new things you know trying out new stuff and i tend to find that all the people i used to hang around with you know they live a very small life which revolves around the pub so i i've kind of removed myself from that and i think if you're serious about not drinking and, and doing it long term and you've got a bit of a problem with it then that's probably something that's advisable yeah definitely i completely agree what do you think lucy is is driving the sort of increase because I, I was just looking at some articles on your website about you've mentioned things like the the alcohol industry itself is directly targeting women with their marketing and, and making alcohol seem um sexy and desirable and uh, and as soon as i read the article i was like yeah i hadn't even really thought of it from that perspective but definitely when you think of um stuff like sex in the city or a lot of tv series there's lots you know sort of women drinking prosecco it's very glamorous it's very um you know it's what you do on a night out um are there other things i mean that you think are actually sort of increasing this whole process of of women turning to alcohol but not on a level of, of drinking all day long but just sort of out of control with their consumption 
Yeah, I think the last 20 years we've seen, I mean, the alcohol industry actively targeted women because they could see that it was a market that hadn't been tapped into. So the wine manufacturers particularly, I mean, all the kind of Blossom Hill, Jacobs Creek sort of adverts that used to be kind of um, ad buffers at um, either end of Come Dine With Me adverts that I remember, just always kind of showing a group of women, having a laugh, you know, nice middle-class women having a couple of glasses of wine and it was all really above board and convivial and that message is very prevalent, I think, that it's it's really harm, it's not harmful. We don't see it as a drug, we don't see it as something that's going to give us liver disease or breast cancer, we see it as something that's glamorous and sophisticated and, and that's just reinforced everywhere. Stella Artois recently brought out um, a, a cider specifically aimed at women because the women weren't buying cider in the wow. same numbers that men were, so they designed a little pink bottle in a 50 mil size huh. and, it, and, and made it pink. And you know, it's, it's things like that are absolutely calculatedly yeah. um, designed to attract the female market, and it's worked, you know. And we're now seeing the, the outcome of that 20 years later, we've started to see a, a big rise in breast cancer as a result of alcohol consumption and, and a massive rise in, in female alcohol-related hospital admissions and liver disease in younger women. So it is definitely coming home to roost. And, you, you know, you can't drink that sort of amount, of half a bottle, a bottle of wine every night. You can't drink that amount for long and without suffering health repercussions. And, and now we're seeing that, I think, more and more. That's um, one of the areas that I was going to also ask you about because it scares me slightly when working with young women and I get them to do things like um, food and nutrition diaries for me. Um, and I'm seeing quite a lot of um, young women sort of be almost angelic across Monday to Friday living on salads and green smoothies and then it gets to the weekend and I'm always asking them to be really honest with me um, and like you said it, it can be sort of half to a full bottle of wine but it's 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 Thursday through till Sunday there's now this fashion for Sunday brunch Sunday lunch and it's more drinking and I've had to explain to them you know the dangers and some of them I've actually suggested they go and get their liver enzymes tested and they've been elevated and they're working with me on a fat loss basis saying I don't understand it I eat so well <laughs> and I can sort of say another tip I've given women is to test their blood sugar levels and at the weekends um, test them in the morning when they wake up and they're they're rocketing because they've had you know lack of sleep um, too much wine and then usually they'll eat some sugary foods probably as yeah. well due to the, the alcohol intake what are the I was going to say conditions that, that you've sort of seen or looked at the science on that are associated with excess alcohol consumption for women well I mean obesity obviously is a big one and I, I didn't realize um until the last sort of two or three years looking into it in more detail but um but the fact that the liver works so hard to get rid of the alcohol that it stops processing any other toxins in the body including fat so that that's a double whammy you know you kind of people i used to think i'm drinking a bottle of wine and this is like you know so many calories or whatever but actually it's it's double that because your liver's not processing processing anything else either so you sort of that tendency to put weight on if you're drinking booze every night is huge and mm. then on top of that you know you're less likely to exercise in the morning and you're much more mm. likely to eat a load of crap to you know soak up the booze and I, I was terrible when I drank I used to I mean I always ran I started running when I was about 20, 24 I think so about 15 years I've been running and um but I used to do it with a hangover, you know, and then I'd come back and have a massive fry-up and consume <laughs> about four or 5,000 calories the day after a heavy drinking session um, and think that I was mitigating all that alcohol by, but, you know, running a little bit. And since I've stopped drinking, I've, I'm now nine stone, which, you know, I'm five foot six, so it's like I'm in my ideal weight. I run so much more 
before I'm kind of running about 25 30 miles a week I do weights I'm just I'm in the best condition physically I've ever been in and it's really easy you know because I don't drink it's just dead easy to maintain that commitment to fitness and um, I don't put weight on it's just you know that I, I can't believe how much of an impact drinking had on me physically and and how little I realized it and I used to, I remember going to the gym quite a lot when I drank and, and really liking it because the um, instructor in the class would say at the end especially if it was a Friday or a Saturday class right ladies you know you've done all your exercise now off we go let's go and get the wine in you know that was a fitness instructor at Virgin <laughs> yeah. it's crazy it just <laughs> and, and now I just think god what was I doing and I used to smoke as well because drinking often lends itself to smoking the two tend to go hand in hand to for a lot of people so I'd be drinking you know a bottle two bottles of wine smoking 20 fags and then the next morning getting up and going for a three mile run and thinking I was all right um, oh, God. <laughs> but I think that is really common and, and you read it all the time on Sober Easters about the weight thing and yeah. eating rubbish and I think as well with women there's a degree of self-harming and and not really liking ourselves very much. We, we tend to sort of beat ourselves up quite a lot, I think, women. And um, and I know a lot of my drinking in the last few years was was kind of almost tantamount to self-harming. It was, and, and the food thing, I didn't care about myself very much. I didn't, yeah. I didn't really value myself. <clears throat> Since I've stopped drinking, I really, really value my health and I really value what I'm doing to myself and I want to give myself the best chance at life. So I'm really careful about what I eat. And, you know, it's kind of everything's flipped onto, you know, into a positive because I stop drinking um so i think you can you can slide into that very unhealthy lifestyle quite easily when you're drinking regularly and, and lots of things are connected to that that bring their own health risks you know as well as the, the ones that are associated with drinking well i think that's the the, the you know the, the the key thing like you were saying was that it's not necessarily just you know having a night out on the town and drinking it 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 often comes with like a knock-on effect as you say a hangover crap food then you think oh sod it i might as well start again on monday bosh let's go out again tonight and it does have that kind of like you know that self-destruct mode kind of kicks in across the weekend and then i probably see this in women more than men sometimes women will often then try and make up for that in the week by potentially under eating Mm -hmm. massively restrictive calories you know like it's like credit debit lifestyle yeah and it's like they've gone literally from one extreme to 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 the other i was gonna say could you just go through um lucy some of the maybe things like hormonal complications or sort of more serious implications of binge drinking that women might not be aware of Um, you mentioned breast cancer being one of them yeah that what you just said there as well i think is about women under eating to to you know mitigate the alcohol calories i think that's such a common thing as and i used to do that and the effect that has on your mood tied in again to drinking more because you know you don't eat right you skip meals you've got Mm. low blood sugar you're grumpy you're depressed um, and then you drink to try and alleviate those conditions so you know everything's just kind of like interwoven into this very negative cycle with with, when you're drinking that you know that much and when I say that much I, I think kind of a bottle of wine a night is quite typical these days for a lot of women who wouldn't class themselves as having a drink problem but I mean breast cancer you just said about the the health risks because there was um, Oxford University have just finished a massive study called the One Million Women Study I don't know if you heard of it but they've found really conclusive um, connection between drinking three glasses of wine a night and a 50% increase in the risk of breast cancer so it's huge the impact that 
that this kind of regular heavy drinking is having on breast cancer incidence rates. So that's one. Early onset dementia is another one. Signs of dementia in your 50s, um, which is obviously really scary. Liver disease, really, really easy to damage your liver as a woman, particularly you're more susceptible to it. You can drink less for a shorter length of time and, and you know, get liver disease much quicker and, and without as much booze as men can because we're just not made the same physiologically. Yeah. And then I think there's all the kind of, um, for me, because I escaped all the physical, um, major physical repercussions of drinking too much but the mental implications of that much alcohol for me and for so many people and so priesters um, were really really low self-esteem very bad depression mood swings anxiety attacks and all of those things were directly linked to the amount of alcohol I was drinking so since I stopped drinking I've not had one panic attack and I used to have two a week like really physical physically yeah. bad panic attacks you know racing heartbeat sweating pan- real panic and thinking I was dying you know swimming wow. in the heart it was so bad and the really bad mood swings terrible low moods almost suicidal at times and um, and just no self-confidence couldn't look people in the eye dreading going to work dreading having to interact with people you know on a Monday and Tuesday particularly when I've been caning it all weekend and I think that is massive for women it, once you get past a certain age it becomes harder to laugh it off it's not you know when you're 20 and you're at university you can kind of put it down to having a laugh with your mates and stuff but once you get past the and you've got kids and a job it's something that people women particularly are so embarrassed about and so ashamed of that it can just eat away at you and um, and ruin really ruin your life I think on that level and it certainly did for me I, I can't believe my outlook on life and how much it's changed in four years from not drinking it's completely changed it's amazing it, it's such an inspirational story because one of the yeah. things that struck me on on your site i was reading some of the members stories is that some of them were um actual they started drinking later in life mm. um, and said it was down to things like low self-esteem depression yeah. um feeling lonely and they actually started in my head i was a bit like well i've made it to 35 without any issues here so you know this, i'm safe but they were sort of saying they started in their 40s some started yeah. in their 50s and mm. 60s which i never really occurred to me that that people would pick it up that late in life and yeah, then develop like in a, at, at different stages in life there's there's sort of common problems so the 50s and 60s it's empty nest syndrome you know women who've been rushed off the feet with the kids all their lives and then suddenly the kids leave home and they're just completely redundant and they feel so lonely and, and useless I think that's a really common um, trigger for people drinking too much um, bereavement fertility problems marriage problems you know all those kind of major things in life it's so easy to just drink mm. a few glasses of wine at night to, to just numb it you know and that that becomes habitual and I, my drinking definitely crossed a line um, when I got divorced you know it was, it was the, the financial worries being lonely single parent stresses of kind of running a home and a family on my own and all of that I just the wine was just like such an easy answer and, and I just got very quickly got into a bottle of wine a night then being a very kind of standard amount that I was drinking I mean it's it, it's funny because we you know like we we've spoke about this haven't we in that you know you can almost link alcohol and food in that sense because 
I think so many people do the same thing with food. You know, they seek they seek that comfort, so they'll reach for the crappy food, the chocolate, the sweets. Yeah. And there are often cases where then that has a knock on effect to the alcohol or vice versa. What we always say is, and, and it'd be quite interesting to know what your thoughts are on this, because of course. It doesn't solve the problem, you know, whether it's bereavement, lack of self-confidence, um, a divorce, you know, your, a, a, you know, your daughter or son leaving home, whatever it may be. You know, the, the alcohol, the food doesn't deal with the root cause of why you're feeling the way you feel. Mm. So and, and I'm sure that you get a lot of people that, that, that talk about this. Like, How would you how would you deal with that kind of a situation in trying to get people to actually think differently for a moment and thinking rather than seeking temporary relief let's show you how you can actually deal with the reason you actually feel this way in the first place yeah well i mean this is one of the problems i've got with some kind of treatments or um ways of dealing with alcohol problems because they tend to focus on just stopping drinking and for me it's not about the drinking you know people don't get into the habit of drinking a bottle of wine a night if they're very happy yeah ten people are drinking that amount because they're trying to escape the problems um, and numb the pain and you know we all have rubbish to deal with in our lives and difficulties and challenges but for me one of the best things now about being sober is that I've grown emotionally so much and I've become so strong because anything that happens to me and I've been through you know a relationship a major relationship breakdown since I stopped drinking and various kind of challenges personally but I've never felt tempted to drink because I see that I almost enjoy it now it's like bring it on I'll, I'll deal with it and every time I deal with something like that without alcohol um, I feel stronger and better for it afterwards so for me when I stopped drinking it was my major things were uh, low self-confidence and I knew I really drank to boost my confidence in social situations I, when I did go out without alcohol in the first few days or first few weeks and months rather um, I was terrified it was so difficult going out and talking to people without alcohol as a prop so I went to see a cognitive behavioural therapist and I did that for quite a few weeks and to try and boost my confidence and that really worked and I also had loads of regrets and guilt associated with the amount of drunk especially about you know being a parent and, and putting alcohol ahead of my daughter's needs quite a lot so I dealt with all of that I really sort of threw myself into running I wrote blogs I wrote books um, I got everything out of myself and, and worked on myself like so much. You know, I invested so much time and energy into just transforming myself as a person, and it really, really worked. And I, I don't recognise who I was now four years ago. So I think I think kind of the first step is is an awareness why you're drinking. So kind of stopping drinking for a short period of time, like a month, is just enough. I think to to get rid of the fog and to help people see just really think about why they're drinking the amount they are and wonder what those underlying reasons are and and maybe get some professional help in dealing with those underlying reasons and finding something else to do that's positive with your time um, and where hopefully you might meet people who aren't who don't prioritize getting drunk um, so you've kind of widened your social circle and you've you've brought new things into your life that are, that are good distractions um, is a good start um, but I do think you've got to kind of initially look at cutting out alcohol just for a short period just to get that clarity and, and work on yourself a bit because there are always reasons why I think people drink like that um, and sober eaters is a good you know it's a good place to do that because if you well I'm sure if you've looked if you've read it on the forums and stuff you, it is often like 
people will be discussing stuff that's nothing to do with alcohol you know it's like people write blogs about the marriage breakdown and what a shit the husband is and <laughs> you know how much they just want to get divorced and how much the kids are annoying them or or whatever it is but it, it's a dealing with those other issues and getting support and friendship for those issues as well and then that naturally then kind of helps people step away from the drink and do you I was going to say do you sort of have different programs that you suggest to people like try and go 30 days sober or try and cut down increase alcohol free days or or is, is it just sort of get into the forums and then you know ask questions and, and let people decide for themselves and there's some information to guide them yeah it's it's the latter really it's totally non-prescriptive sobriesters and I, I deliberately kind of made it like that and keep it like that because I think everybody's reasons for drinking are different and everybody's solution for a drinking problem is different so I don't agree with kind of a set list of steps to take you know to get rid of a drink problem it'll work differently for everybody for me the most important thing is is feeling safe and accepted and to stop beating yourself up in the very first instance and be to be allowed to be you and to be allowed to kind of work through the things that are causing you um upset to the extent that you want to blot everything out in your life um and that's just like for most people knowing that there's other people who have done what they've done putting some perspective on their drinking stories is a huge start you know to make them realize that this terrible thing that they can't forgive themselves for doing is something that actually loads of us have done and you know it's just a symptom of of an underlying problem that can be resolved i think that's just a really powerful starting point so lucy do you do you not drink at all now no I, I don't but I, I know and I mean I kind of the hospital incident was was my big reinforcer of this but I, I absolutely categorically know I can't drink in moderation and I've not drunk for four and a half years but I know if I started drinking now I'd almost definitely be back on that slippery slope I just I've got a very full-on personality whatever I do I do it to excess I've, I've did it with drugs I did it with cigarettes I did it with I did it with alcohol um so for me I think I crossed that line of a long time ago um, where I, I kind of didn't have an off switch and I don't think that would come back. But more importantly, I, I don't want to drink because yeah. what I've kind of learned about a sober lifestyle and how I've grown and how much more I like myself and how much more I like my life since I cut alcohol out is I've become addicted to that. Yeah. So, you know, there's no, no money in the world that would make me go back to drinking, even if I knew I could do it moderately. I just wouldn't do it. I, just, I can't bear the thought of having a hangover and wasting my weekends. I love the mornings. I love getting up early and going for a run. I love you know how level my mood is and how kind of in control I am of my life it's just everything's just kind of fallen into place for me since I stopped drinking so it doesn't hold any appeal to me anymore but I am pretty sure that I I couldn't drink in moderation if I wanted to so I sort of consider myself as being allergic to alcohol (laughs) (laughs) it's just something that's not in my life and I I don't miss it at all but then how do you because the reason I asked you that question was because you know like people always like to have a choice and I think that it's much more empowering to say I'm choosing not to drink as opposed to I can't drink you know what I mean so and I just think like how do you because we always try and tap into that psyche with people and say rather than saying I can't have this I can't do that because of x y and z flip it and say I don't want this because I know that actually tomorrow I'll feel like crap I'll probably eat a load of rubbish food I'll spend the, ne- the rest of the week lacking in confidence and hating myself. 
and you know so how, how do you flip that psyche around to empower people rather than actually them thinking oh you know my life's miserable I can't do this I can't do that yeah well that I mean that is that was a massive driver in Sober Easters it's, it's exactly what the site is about I mean I kind of thought it was really obvious to me that Alcoholics Anonymous just I'm not picking on Alcoholics Anonymous I, I know it works for some people but just that name focuses on alcoholic that that's the problem that you are negatively labeling yourself and it's like it's almost like self-flagellation you know for the for the time you're going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous you've got to you're reminded all the time of this problem you've got and what you've got to, what you take it out of your life what you've cut out i.e the alcohol so I thought sober Easters is like turning that on its head so instead of the name of the organization being something that's negative it, it's the aspirational so people aspire to being a sober easter it's, yeah. pri- it's pride it's somebody wants to be a sober easter they didn't nobody wants to be an alcoholic nobody yeah. wants to be called an alcoholic and reminded that they're an alcoholic every day but to remind yourself that you are a sober easter or you're striving to be a sober easter is a really positive thing and i couldn't I could never kind of get my head quite early on in not drinking. I couldn't get my head around that one day at a time. Oh my God, for the rest of my life I'm in recovery. I can't drink, blah, blah. And I'm just gritting my teeth. And it wasn't like that for me. You know, I, I, it was hard to stop drinking in the first year and a half, two years. It was, it was hard learning not to drink. But once I got past that point, I love not drinking. You know, I absolutely love it. And I'm proud to not drink. It's like totally something, that a part of my life that I really, really love. And I'm so happy to say I don't drink, you know, to people. It's not something I'm ashamed of. And yeah. I feel like I've chosen to do that. I made an active choice to do that because I could have carried on drinking. I could go out and buy a bottle of wine now. You know, there's nobody stopping me. But I choose not to because mm. I know it doesn't work for me. And that, I think, is the key to success. If you can feel like you've made the choice exactly what you just said you know if you empowered somebody to make that choice themselves rather than them feeling that they've been told to do that that's going to stick you know that works then and, it, and they're doing it for them themselves and straight away they've boosted the confidence and they've boosted the self-esteem and then it's in a virtuous circle you know it's kind of gone into reverse in a positive way so that's exactly what sober Easter's is for me and i was just going to say i completely um second everything you've just said because as a nutritional therapist when i'm working with clients it can be a really awkward conversation when I can see that there's a, you know, a dependency, but like we've just talked about maybe not alcoholic. So I sort of think I can't recommend Alcoholics Anonymous because that's going to make them feel terrible. It mm. might sort of hinder the relationship we're building as a practitioner and client. Uh, but what I ha- have been able to do is recommend Soberistas and just said, this is a website just about cutting back on alcohol, um, you know, not turning to it when you're feeling a bit low and need some confidence you know there's lots of different information on exercise and nutrition and hobbies you can take up instead and loads of support from other women that are doing exactly the same thing it's an easy thing for me to suggest it's a very positive thing for them to to do to go and enroll with you and and sign up and and like you've said join like-minded women who are just trying to you know basically make themselves feel better look better um and detach from from and you do get i think when you like when you spend time on there and you do there's a real sense of community and strength from numbers you know that people start off very shaky and in a really bad place and then over the sort of course of weeks or months they feel like they belong to a club but it's a very positive club and a really like um you know it's a place where people grow and learn to like themselves so it's I just think it's a really powerful message that if you can convince people that not drinking 
is a really, really good thing. And I think the double whammy in our society is that we so, you know, revere alcohol. And what we were saying earlier on, that if you don't drink, you're, you are often considered to be a bit odd. So <laughs> another pers- another sort of purpose of sobriety is that you, you are mixing with other people who don't drink. And, and it, um, it's, it counteracts that that sort of ideology we've got in this society that if you don't drink you're weird you know it's it's like you, you, you stop feeling like you're sticking out like a sore thumb you're amongst kindred spirits and that does so much for your confidence and your ability to stick at it I think just kind of being with other people who are also enjoying not drinking rather than doing it on your own in, in the middle of a load of people who are still going out and getting wellied every weekend <laughs> <laughs> What do you find people tend to um, do in terms of um, keeping themselves busy and, and distracting themselves themselves from if they're not going to the pub with friends is there like common things that people will hobbies they'll take up or well we i mean we started a, we've got a book club on on the, the website so that's one oh, thing that's i kind of i got into I, I love my bedtime now you know i really love sort of taking my makeup off and putting some nice pajamas on and reading a good book it's like really relaxing and then a good night's quality sleep and then getting up earlier in the morning so that's something um, that we kind of always prod people into doing i think reading more but people do loads of stuff i mean I mean, I, I love running and I will always try and encourage people to do the fitness side of things because I think the endorphins, um, you know, getting out there into the countryside, meeting other people who don't drink loads, there's so many benefits and, and, and also the self-confidence and liking what you look like, you know, when you've lost weight and toned up a bit. It's, there's so many plus points to exercise, whatever type of exercise. So that's a that's a big one. But, I mean, people do things like learning new languages, going back to university, Going like a big one actually seems to be that at the moment just packing in their old job and doing and following the dream, you know, something yeah. that I wanted to do for years and they've not <clears> had the confidence to do it or they've not um, felt able for whatever reason, but just decided to you know sod it and let's go for it. A bit of a challenge, and people seem to do that a lot. We've had quite a lot of sobriesters writing books about stopping drinking, so there's Brilliant. at least. Um, <clears throat> three members on there who've had books published about stopping drinking so that's uh, something that people have got into and um, yeah I just think there's, there's so much and you do tend to live a very small closed life when you drink all the time you know I, my life revolved around work <laughs> you know I never yeah. did anything I hardly even travelled went on holiday because I didn't have any money you know I spent three or four hundred quid a week a month on booze so there is so much to do and, and people do start doing all sorts of things it's amazing really to think that you know i mean you kind of went through you know what i'd probably say was quite you know a a dark stage in your life like with the drink and you know some potentially really dangerous situations on the one hand you'd probably like to think oh god i wish that that never happened but then equally it's allowed you to now reach out to 33,000 people which is no, which is no doubt yeah. growing and i think that in itself is such a an empowering thing to know that almost your sacrifice i don't know what's the word like or yeah no I, I mean i i'm actually like so grateful for that night where i nearly died <laughs> ended up in hospital you know it was the most terrifying thing that had ever happened to me but I, i'm so pleased it happened because i don't think i would have stopped drinking if that hadn't happened mm. i don't think i'd have got enough of a shock um because other bad things had happened and nothing was sufficient to to get me to trigger know, yeah so, but yeah, until that happened, and so I'm really grateful that happened. But also, you know, everything in my life, I, booze is like it's a weird one because we tend to 
I mean, it defined me. You know, drinking defined me for 20 years. It, it, my, all my friendships were built on it. My relationships were built on it. Um, my social life, how I viewed myself, my identity, everything. The music I liked, the films I was into. I, I was just um, very much a kind of rebellious... I, I saw myself as that sort of type of person. And, and booze was just totally, you know, a part of that... Um, so I don't regret it at all. I can't regret it because it's who I am. It's you know, mm. if you, even though I don't drink now, there's so much of my personality that is still formed from the person I used to be as a drinker. Um, so and you know, ultimately, yeah, it's brought me here, and, and I'm doing what I'm doing now, which I absolutely love and is incredibly fulfilling. And I've met some amazing people in the last few years, um, and life just keeps on getting better. And I would never have got to this stage had I not stopped drinking, and I would never have stop drinking had I not been such a heavy drinker so it's it's all good in the end I don't think you can really waste time regretting things well I mean I think it's amazing I absolutely I, I love your story and I love that you're you've used your success to help others because I just think that especially with something like this I mean it's one thing with nutrition and us being qualified and helping people but I think when you're talking about a subject about excessive alcohol consumption uh, being an alcoholic whatever it may be it's a whole different ball game, and I think if 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 they can hear it from someone who's been there, yeah. done that, knows exactly how it feels, and then you know they're, they're probably chances are going to take it on board that little bit more than if say someone like myself who's never had a drink problem who's <laughs> turned around saying don't drink this, do that, you know, like you don't want to do that, it's really bad for your health, you know. Whereas someone who can actually really relate to the emotional background and the reasons and the triggers. That, yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, honestly, yeah. what you're doing is is absolutely phenomenal. I've got a question, actually, about the, what were they called, the bro, bro-easters? Bro-easters. Sobros. Sobros. Bro-easters. The Sobros. What sort of, um, have you observed, is driving men? Because I know we work with um, guys, and I know there's issues with self-esteem, um, but I haven't actually seen as much of the sort of them turn into drink for those reasons you know I think it's more of a I'm just with my mates down at the pub peer pressure that's the main thing I tend to see I think that's true yeah and, and again I mean that gender divide I think it is relevant in some regards with, with alcohol you know there are women drink for different reasons and the, the stigma definitely is different I think women do tend to feel that stigma in society more um, because they're supposed to be the nurturer the mother you know all of that and it is just sort of fly in the face of that when you're just recklessly getting out of your head every night Mm. Um, society does tend to frown on women more I think but men on sober Easter's Generally, I think they've start they've got into it because probably of peer pressure, you know, at university or or in at work, you know, after work drinks or whatever, and um, and they've just felt like they've crossed the line where it's started to control them and they're not controlling it anymore, and they're just. I always I love the sobros. There's so many of them <laughs> apologetic for being on there, you know, and they're like, I know this is a site for women and I'm really sorry and I hope you don't mind me being here. And it's like, it's not, you know, it, I designed it for women because I'm a woman and I understand the issues surrounding female alcohol dependency more than those surrounding male. But there are a lot of common factors, you know, loads of common factors. And I think it's just so nice that sobriousness is attracted all these people from different walks of life, different genders, mm. you know, different jobs, parents, non-parents, grandparents, just so many different people who feel like part of a family and feel accepted 
for the, a lot of them for the first time in the whole life. You know, we've had a couple of um, official sober easters meetups where we've organised. Um, you know, a, a room and, and a few people have turned up, and it's been like this feeling of um, like a family reunion, like a family reunion. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you feel like you, everybody crying and hugging each other, and just kind of this deep love because we've all been through this absolutely yeah. horrific issue, and we've all come out the other side and helped each other do it. And it's just like so heartwarming to see that happen on the side. It's it's fantastic, and it's and you know it's really nice. I think when the blokes and feel a part of that too. One thing I was going to ask is, would you also suggest um, like concerned partners sign up just to try and get maybe an insight? Because just actually just no personal friends where I've seen them on nights out and thought that they're, you know, probably a bit out of control. And it seems to be the partner that has to pick up the pieces, try and get them home, that worries about them. But then again, can't perhaps talk to them because it's a very sensitive subject. And you mentioned, I absolutely love this. It was on your website that, one boyfriend turned around to you and said, when you drank, it's like you had a twat pill. <laughs> I just thought, that was so... Uh, he was absolutely right. It totally was. Could partners sign up and maybe, you know... I don't know, because I think the danger there is that you get people then being um, feeling like they've been told to stop drinking. And I, yeah. and I absolutely mm. fundamentally believe that to do it properly and to do it successfully long-term, you've got to do it for yourself. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, agree. I mean, any people could have just told me till they were blue in the face that I drank mm. too much, and, and I was so um, hell bent on carrying on. I just would not have stopped for anybody or anything. I mean, even having my daughter, you know, I've had, since had another daughter who's now three, and I've never drunk at all in Lily's lifetime, and I can't believe the difference it makes to me as a parent. And I and I and I'm quite frequently sort of filled with loathing at myself for how much I or how little I kind of put my other daughter ahead of alcohol and there were so many times where it was never like major neglect or you know horrific abuse or anything but just selfish behavior where mm. I would just stay up till three in the morning getting drunk with my friends and then the next day I'd be so hungover I couldn't be bothered taking us to the park or taking a swimming or whatever she didn't come first I didn't put her first enough I, I drinking was was what I prioritized and I just I don't know, the, the changes in myself, the changes in me, how I relate to other people, it's just kind of such an obvious thing that life is better without booze. I just, I think it's just kind of, um, it's something that lots of people have found works better for them. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm so inspired by your story, I really am, because I just think like, you know, like we, we've always said that like community and those around you uh, are what will always get the best outcomes and it's mm. something we've tried to do with fitter food so you know different kind of different end of the spectrum for sure but we've, we've always said that, haven't we that it always comes down to community and just yeah. surrounding yourself with like-minded people that kind of share your passions because yeah. it's like you s- I think it's kind of like the internet as well and, and technology has enabled that so much like things like fitbit and um you know all those the ways that you can kind of connect with other people online just to measure your performance when you go running or whatever it's just like it really motivates people and and they're held accountable and just the fact that they've told somebody that they're going to Mm. stop drinking um and knowing that that person's going to want to hear how it's gone for them that can just be enough to keep them off you know to 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 stop them caving in when they've got a break and it just it's so powerful that i think it's really really it's the key to me i think 
I think I was going to say one um, point I was just going to make was with social media nowadays, we're all subjected to so much more pressure in terms of, you know, how we look, our bodies, our success. You know, it's, it's, it's in our face all the time that everyone else is doing great things and achieving so much. So it's so nice to see social media being used for such a positive purpose, um, you know, in the same online communities where it's it's safe and it's nourishing rather than sort of extra pressure, extra, you know, sort of yeah, competition. I was um, having a go at my teenager for Facebook obsession and, you know, and she's like, yeah, you run a social network. Right? <laughs> That's different. It's completely different. And she's under, like, so much pressure to look a certain way. And the aesthetic, the, the pressure on aesthetic perfection, I think, in this sort of younger generations because of social media is huge compared so to scary isn't it was a teenager and it was bad enough then but yeah I think it can if it's used in the right way it can just be so effective in dealing with so many problems and we're all like so time poor as well these days you know trying to sort of use technology to to shove a uh, whatever it is you know any, an app or a bit of a bit of connection online with people who know what you've been through just but if you can just kind of get something 10 minutes a day where it's just gonna it could be make or break and it's doable that you know people can squeeze that into a busy life whereas taking two hours out to go and see a therapist or yeah. those sort of more traditional kind of routes of help they're just not easily easily done when you've got a full-time job and two kids and a house to run and it's they're a luxury you know time is a luxury these days so and you're for it your site as well just to tell our listeners is an absolute steal it's a bargain just the membership's absolutely it's next to nothing compared to like you just said professional help and other things so it's a great starting point for anybody well, it works out. I think if you go for the year membership, it works out at sixty-five p a week. So, oh, you know, I used definitely used to spend in the region of three, four hundred quid a month on on wine and associated pizzas and taxes and all the rest of it. So, <laughs> it's definitely a lot cheaper than that. So, te- Lucy, tell us about your book. You've got a book, right? Uh, I've got four books. Actually. Oh, check you. Go on then. Um, What's the latest one? (laughs) The first one is, uh, well, the first two actually I co-wrote with um, a... Um, alcohol addictions counsellor called Sarah Turner so the first one is The Sober Revolution Women Calling Time and Wine O'Clock and then the second one is like a diary six week plan that goes alongside that so you can kind of record your own journey and work through the first six weeks where you don't drink Um, and then the third one is called Glass Half Full and that's the blog that I wrote in the first couple of years when I stopped drinking Um, sort of me pouring my heart out <laughs> online to a load of strangers about how awful I was at first how awful I was finding it not drinking and then this yeah. kind of gradual acceptance and transformation to actually really liking not drinking so that that's the third one and then the one that I the latest one was out last year which is called how to lead a happy happier and healthier life without alcohol um and that's just kind of um, i suppose it's like concentrating on all the strategies that work for me so i've really got into mindfulness and nutrition exercise um an awareness of the alcohol industry and the kind of you know what we were talking about earlier about the, the pinking of the feet of the alcohol industry yeah. with targeted women and yeah and, and sort of self-esteem issues and just basically a more kind of um, holistic look at the elements in my life that have helped me stay sober Love and I'm it. just about to start my next book which is um, going to be pretty much an autobiography but only kind of based on the 
the booze and the drugs sort of thing, you know, just kind of exploring why I got um, into the place I got into and then the sort of turning that around and how I managed to stop. And are these books available on your website or...? Um, well, they're all published by Accent Press and they're available on Amazon and a number of other online sellers, but you can also find them on um, Sober Easter's website in the book section as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Amazon they're all is probably the easiest place. And is that just, is that soberistas.com? It's soberistas.com, yeah. Awesome. And can anyone find you on like social media or anything like that? Uh, yeah, you could follow us on, uh, it's at Sober Easters is our Twitter and Facebook forward slash Sober Easters and then the WordPress blog is um, soberistas.wordpress. Amazing, amazing. Well, we're all over the place. I say, you've been so busy. I'm feeling a bit lazy. <laughs> I need to get some more books written. <laughs> but I think what, what I love about this is that, uh, like like you said, you've kind of, you know, you've got your you've got your AA meetings and then you've got people that just like a drink, but then you've got people that obviously are at that kind of interim stage, if I think, you like. I think everyone would benefit from just um, spending some time on your website, Lucy. I think it's fantastic on a number of levels. I was reading a lot of the nutrition and health articles and, and getting smoothie recipes off there as well. So <laughs> I think it's that everyone should just visit. It's, it's so much more than just... Uh, yeah, because, yeah, but I also think, it, like you just said, this could hit anybody at any time mm. and you could just fall into this trap and it could be it could be alcohol, it could be sugar, it could be drugs, you know. So it's, it's yeah. always, if you if you start to just become aware... Um, you know, and know that you're not alone and there's support out there. I think it's really, it's a wise move to take now. No, no, I totally yeah. agree. No, well, Lucy, thank you so much for yeah, giving up the time you. and thank you so much for doing everything that you do because Hugely you're helping so many people. It's amazing. Oh, um, you're welcome. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been really nice talking to you. No, and, and you're Northern, so that gets bonus points <laughs> in our book. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not Northern, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> not that I have an issue with Northerners, obviously. Um, where, whereabouts are you from, Lucy? Uh, Sheffield. Oh, so, Sheffield. I thought you'd yeah. guess that accent. Well, do you know what? I knew it was quite up north by her accent. Like, you know. It's very up north. Awesome. Well, Lucy, listen, um, thank you again. Um, we probably will have you, we may even have you on another time if you if you can give up the time or you're not yeah, even busier than you already are. Well, uh, that'd be great, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, have an awesome day and we'll, uh, I suppose, get get a shout out soon when the, when the podcast goes out. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you in episode number 55. 55? I forgot for a moment then. See you later, guys. Bye.